All right, we're digging for wisdom, and it's got to be the regional finals because you boys got the headphones on. I've got to hear the information of what Diggs is going to be dropping on us. And I can't hear it well out of these speakers. i got to hear it directly into my ears from your voice into these uh, unclogged ears. Let me know what you're going to say because we got some sweet regional finals, and we got a lot of rematches amongst the finals that we do have. I think you're getting ready, Ward, because you know this is the part of the year where I start making controversial statements. You got to make sure you're listening so you can just edit that right on out of there, or or send our clips to the DeSoto media team so they can get them nice and packaged. Our guy Jeter can package your voice up there and and make you look like an idiot when you pick against DeSoto this week. Because I know you're taking Cedar Hill by Fallen this week, Ward. Taking oh, Cedar Hill. The voice. The voice is making crazy predictions. Not you and Olivia are just taking Cedar Hill by fault in this week. I like it. I'll make crazy predictions, but I don't know if I can get that crazy. I will give some props out, though, man. That, that We had a couple teams in there that are taking all the dirt that we threw on their grave and are trying to throw it back out, as we did to Lancaster and Cedar Hill. And, and it's very impressive turnarounds from both of them. Uh Got their one and four and two and five starts together, and and now are in the regional finals, beating teams that they may have we may have not even thought they'd even be competitive with earlier in the year, and now they're knocking them out of the playoffs. So we got to give our props to those people that uh, resuscitated themselves and are back on top. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that Ward because even despite all of this, I mean, we've been giving Lancaster their props. I mean, we've been, I mean, we named the Cedar Hill bracket the Cedar Hill bracket. I mean, that kind of lets you know what we what we thought of them. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the, these were teams that were underachieving for half of the year for whatever reason, whether it was injuries, whether it was two quarterbacks, whatever it may be, they were underachieving. But still, we saw the talent. I mean. You go look at all of the people doing rankings and whatnot, and, and we got flack for it, Ward, and, and we'll take their flack, but you can go back to the campfire. We ranked Cedar Hill in our top 25 to start the year. You know, we didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, but we said this is a team you need to watch because of their coaching, because of their the returning starters that they've got. It's a team you need to keep an eye on. Lancaster, we ranked number three to start out with. You know, we had it Alito, Longview, and Lancaster, one, two, three. Uh, and then Lancaster, this is crazy two-quarterback system, and now all of a sudden they're starting to play at the level uh, that we thought they could, but it still takes a little bit of luck. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk you know, more about that as when we get into 5A Division One. But at the end of the day, Taylor Tatum was playing that game. I don't know if Lancaster is going to win that game. And, and sometimes you need the breaks to happen your way. And, and uh, like I, I know that Lancaster could give us a whole sob story of a, of a D-line guy they've got out and some DBs that they might not have. Or, you know, everybody's got injuries this year. But there are still games changing injuries and for for a long view they had a game changing injury but this week one of the things we're going to be digging for wisdom we're going to be looking at the injury report because some teams may be getting some very pivotal players back and that could definitely change the calculus of how you're going to pick the games exactly survive in advance that's what this type of season is survive it doesn't matter, in advance Ward. doesn't matter who they throw at you you got to survive in advance and i like the way you said hey we gave them a chance to regroup you know those teams that you talked about and they got off the slow starts we gave them a chance. You gave that same chance to Louisville. They they never did regroup, and it they did. They just wind up with the disappointing season, and they're off to the off season. But you gave Lancaster, Cedar Hill, some others a chance to regroup. They have regrouped, and now here we are, four it was rounds. All me. Like if I didn't give them the chance, they would be like Louisville right now. But because of my benevolence, Ward, right. because I have such a big heart, we gave them that chance. And what do they do? They come around. They're playing December football because of us, Wizzy. 
Nobody else, not because of the team, not because of yeah. the Apostle Paul. Not, none of that stuff. It's just you and me, Wizzy. We're the ones that are creating this. So exactly. I'm glad you're giving me the flowers because people need to understand the power of the podcast. And right. here we are. You're bringing them back to life. I love it. Bringing them back to life. We're like The Undertaker. We're just going, whoa. Yeah, exactly. You kill, like them, that. you kill them and then you bring them back. I love bring that stuff. All right, well, let's get started, man. How about if we talk about 6A Division One? Uh, we got a game at Dragon Stadium, North Crowley versus Allen. Allen, it's, you, you talked about you're talking about injury reports. They got a beat up quarterback. They still managed to fight through three rounds and get to this game against North Crowley. You and I were both at North Crowley and Prosper. We both agree that North Crowley did not play their best game, and we both agree that they blew out Prosper. So, talk about if if you know they can win, not playing their best game. What are they going to be like when they do play their best? You know, that, that's the big question. And at the end of the day, I'm having all of these thoughts because on one hand, this is a very down Allen team. And this is an Allen team that even their fans know that is a down Allen team. Nobody in Allen right now, we're not getting the, the angry podcast, you know, commentary from Allen. We get it from Alito and some other places. But the Allen folks aren't like, oh, you're wrong about this one. They're like, we're in the fourth round. Holy, you know, we're, we're, we're loving this. This is great. And, and that speaks to Coach Wigginton and the calmness of that program and the depth of that program. But they are basically a mass unit over there just you know that their bracket was very favorable for them and they've done just enough to get by every single week and 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 the heart of Allen is, is what you really can't underestimate I mean this was a team you and I were watching it you you told me to kind of click on over to the uh Midland game while we were over there at the star and we looked at it, it's 14 nothing Midland legacy in the first quarter and we're like uh-oh here we go and then Allen just settled down they got it 16 14 at halftime and all of a sudden second half they, they zoom along and, and take care of business because they have such a disciplined and and re- really the defensive side of their ball is very healthy. Uh, so Allen is putting things together. But at the end of the day, a healthy Allen team, an Allen team with uh, with Bricker and all that, lost to Prosper 37-36. to And now we've got North Crowley, who you just said, you and I agreed, did not play their best game against Prosper. Jimerson's long ball was off all, all day. There were some easy points that they left on the board in that game. And that game was 35-7. to Their defense just completely dominated and out-physical Prosper. And now we got these two match up, matching up. You got Allen, who is not as good as they were when they played Prosper against North Crowley, who didn't give us a hundred percent effort. It's, it's definitely not trending well, a trending for uh, an Allen win. But I think at some level, not the players, not the coaching staff, but I think the community of Allen is just happy to be here. You know, like man, this is a great season. You know, we we're, we're happy to be here. But North Crowley is on a mission. They they are thinking about next week. They're not going to talk about it. Their coaches are saying all of the right things. And I want to talk about Coach Gates and what a fun, inspirational speaker he was. I went we went down after the game. We're doing our our footage and, and we're watching the post game celebration. And when Coach Gates gets starts talking, it's like Reverend Gates. He was just going on and and he's got he's got his his, his team going. Yeah, you know, it's like we are. Just just old school revivaling right there. And I, I love coach. I, I, I like coach Gates before, but now watching him and, and getting into that, uh, I, I love him even more. And Ward, you and I started talking about this during the game. And, and I, I apologize to our uh, podcast listeners that I was not on top of this. Eli Reinhardt, the offensive coordinator for North Crowley, uh, 
very special story there. Uh, and and it, it's like he's an evil genius over there. It's like he's got the analytics, the computers, and runs all kinds of numbers. North Crowley was not punting the ball on just about every fourth down in the second half. And and they, they run a little bit of a more analytics approach based to their offensive coordinating over there. And you're telling me that uh, he was taking timeouts on, on the field in the first half and just really giving it to the uh, team. And, and he's a special – I didn't even know, you know, his backstory and all that. that that's a whole story for a different day but uh, needless to say the coaches over at North Crowley are a special group so you got a special group of kids you got a special group of coaches over there this is really fun Goon City is I think going to take care of business this week in a big way but that being said Ward I'm going to say something a little controversial I'm going to start to make oh, people yeah. mad because when I, I that's why you got your headphones on because you got to monitor you got to hear the words you got to hear the verbiage of this Watching North Crowley play, they just don't get with the eyeball test. They don't look like they're going to be able to match up with Duncanville. And, and I hate to say that. I mean, the, the, I, I like the coaching. I, I like all of the things. I like this team, a very athletic team. But just looking at this team and, and, and considering what I've seen with Duncanville, I'm very worried about that game. North Crowley looks like kind of a Duncanville light, for lack of a better term. And I know they're going to clip this and, and feel disrespected by it. It's just my take on it. I just think when – Duncanville lines up with North Crowley, all of their players are just going to be a little bit bigger. I don't see anybody or anything where I'm like, North Crowley has an advantage over Duncanville in this area. You know, like the offensive line. They have a very good offensive line. Duncanville's is better. Uh, Ashton Searle is a heck of a running back. Caden Durham's just a little bit better. You know, Chris Jemerson is a really good quarterback. Duncanville's is just a little bit better. Every single thing down the line, Duncanville just has a little bit better than North Crowley, except for maybe coaching at the end of the day. We see that uh, Duncanville sometimes gets lost in their own thoughts. So I, I know it might be a little disrespectful, the Allen fans, to look ahead two weeks. But that was my biggest take coming out of this game is North Crowley is a special program, but they're not Duncanville. What about the other side of the ball? You, you don't think their defense can line up? Very well against the Duncanville offense as far as I was actually overwhelmed at their defensive side. I was overwhelmed at their athleticism. I mean, they are fast. They run to the ball. They're well coached. But size-wise, you know, it was not the size I was expecting out of North Crowley. Uh, the athleticism was equal to, you know, maybe even more than I was expecting. But size-wise, I think they're going to struggle, especially against uh, the offensive line uh, of, of Duncanville. I mean, Prosper has a really good offensive line, and, and they were definitely you know filling the gaps and, and, and running hard. But Prosper didn't have a wide receiver who could go over the top and make you pay for that, you know, on one-on-one on -on -one coverage. Duncanville does. Duncanville has a couple of wide receivers that can make you pay for it. Corey and Moore, I mean, what are you going to do? How, what is the North Crowley answer to that? I don't see it right now. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that a little, uh, a lot more next week um, because Duncanville still has got to get past Spring Westfield, which – if we're doing the look-ahead game, which you like doing and I like doing the old look-ahead game, if we're really looking ahead to the – We're podcasters, Ward. We're looking at it next year, too. We're, we talked about Skyline. We're breaking down Skyline's realignment for next year and, and how they're going to do. And DeSoto going to 5A potentially. We're looking at all of it. That's what we do on this podcast, Ward. But I know you got the Houston wisdom, and I'm digging for your wisdom on this one. Well, you got the, the collaboration there, with that, and you very rarely have that with the with – the, a Dallas and a Houston team, but you know, spring Westfield has played the team that Duncanville's more than likely going to see in the final in North shore. Cause North, nobody's stopping North shore on that side of the bracket. 
and they did not do very well. They lost 45-9. to Granted, it was early in the season when they were having their struggles, but they got beat and beat pretty badly. So if Duncanville wants to be able to compete with North Shore and you want to collaborate there, then they're going to really have to stick it to them this week. Am I right? I think so, and I'm starting to get a little bit worried about Duncanville as, as it relates to North Shore. You know, each and every week, you, you start to see how that game against the Woodlands was sec, you know, second half at 7-7. They just didn't come out crisp. He had the final score was more indicative of what we thought it might end up, but it took a little while to get there. They had to have a third quarter burst to, to get us there, and in the late second quarter burst, it was not 48 minutes of dominance, whereas North Shore is just coming in and being dominant uh, pretty much whole game right now, and I'm just starting to worry about it. It's like I had that gut feeling about Rockwall and, and Spring Westfield as I was starting to see the numbers play out. I'm starting to get that same feeling about Duncanville and, and North Shore right now. I think the pendulum is swinging back to North Shore, even though they got the first-year coach and we got, we're got we trying to work out some things over there with North Shore. And, uh, you know, John Kay has obviously built a program that is sustainable, kind of like we're seeing with Alito. But there's still all those questions as you're getting going. And, 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 and will it uh, – translate in, in, into a, a, a run or was it a, a John Kay thing? And we'll find that out. Uh, but I think that uh, I'm very, I'm starting to get very nervous about Duncanville North Shore. Coming into the season, I was like, oh, Duncanville, you know, where I was feeling great about it. But as this, uh, as, as it's played out a little bit and now seeing this Westfield Rockwell game and knowing how easily that was handled by, uh, by North Shore against Westfield, Man, I'm starting to get a little worried. So to me, I do want style points in this game if I'm going to get back to feeling good about Duncanville uh, because this is a team that put up 77 points, and we do know Rockwall calibrates with Prosper and, and teams like that because they they played them in Trinity. So, But, again, that's the middle-tier teams. These are like the 7th to 15th-ranked uh, teams in our area, and we know that Westfield is 30 points better than that. So they're probably North Crowley level, that 1-4 to four level in DFW if we're putting over there. So can Duncanville take care of business against that three to five range if you're calibrating it over the DFW uh, at a way to where you think, okay, when we get one versus one, we get Houston one versus Duncanville, uh, which I guess DeSoto would be disrespected by that. Number two DFW against number one Houston. Uh, I want to see that Duncanville took care of Houston's number two or number three teams the way that North Shore can. Yeah, and Westfield kind of comes in this thing with confidence knowing that they can play with Duncanville, as they did last year, that game went down to the last, the last drive of the game, and they still have some players from that team, preferably, you know, specifically Taji Atkins, the running back, who we talked about, pure speed, one of those guys that can get around the corner and take off. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. They're not going to give him a. I don't think they're going to give him a forty-two to nine beating. And I know you're looking for something like that, but I think it'll be a fourteen to twenty point game in in my mind. Yeah, and if it's 42 to 21 or something like that, I'm very concerned because obviously, again, it's early in the season and we're, we're going to see what we call the lickback games where people are trying to get their lickbacks against teams that beat them earlier in the year. And obviously there's a lot of growth between week two, week three, and week 15 of the year. But still, it's all we have. It's all we have because we're talking about two completely different regions. And North Shore, when it was time to show up against Westfield, they showed up. And I, I want to see that from Duncanville. But I don't think Duncanville, like you, I, I, I think Duncanville's a, a comfortable favorite in this game. But I think they're only a two to three score comfortable favorite, whereas North Shore took care of business in, in a big way. We will put that out there. There was one of the first games in the season. So maybe Spring Westfield, now they're on a 10-game winning streak. Maybe they've turned things around a little bit, figured some stuff out, new quarterback they had. 
don't know. I'm just throwing things out there, trying to see, trying to show a path that maybe what's something stick against the wall there. You know, again, it, it was early, and and we do see incredible turnarounds from from week one, week two. I mean, look at Cedar Hill; it's a completely different Cedar Hill team than uh, we saw in in week one or two. But looking at Westfield, looking at the stats, it doesn't look like a significantly different team. Yeah. They could have evolved, but guess what? So is everybody else, and everybody else who's at this level should have evolved and gotten better from week one to week two. Is it enough? I guess we'll find out. But I don't think you and I think. Westfield is going to be a serious competitor to this to this game, but at the end of the day, gotta have those style points if we're if we're kind of starting to look at at North Shore in there, and even to a certain extent, I want to see the style points considering North Crowley because I think North Crowley is going to be giving it. You know, North Crowley is viewing Duncanville as kind of the inevitable game. We've been kind of penciling this in for a while. North Shore or, or North Crowley versus Duncanville, and if Duncanville overlooks North Crowley and they give them a couple of plays here and there. That could certainly turn over. I don't think Duncanville is a huge favorite over North Crowley after that. I just think right now North Crowley doesn't match up. So they're going to have to have a couple of things go their way if they're going to be able to up in North, uh, if they're going to be able to up in Duncanville next week, assuming both teams get there. And I think they will. Yeah. And I don't feel Duncanville is a look past you type of team. I think they'll, they'll be fine in that aspect of the game. But you mentioned lickbacks. We got our first of quite a few lickback games in, in this week's, uh, and this week, regional finals, and it starts at 6A Division Two, where South Lake Carroll takes on Byron Nelson, trying to get that lick back from a game where Byron Nelson took him down by 17 points and, and, and took advantage of a lot of turnovers. But you kind of seen that these teams going different directions since that game, right? You know, it, it happened right after that game. You, you see what uh, what Byron Nelson immediately did against uh, their, their rivals, Eaton, and then it, it's just been a slog since then. You know, it, Byron Nelson just quite hasn't figured it out. And you look at that Coppell game, and, and I kind of have the same thoughts about Forney at the end of the day. If Byron Nelson has the best defense in the area, and they give up 45 points to Coppell, and Coppell is a great offense, mind you, I'm, I'm not – taking anything away from Coppell. That game was exactly what we said was going to be last week. Back and forth, down to the wire, you know, it may go one or two scores, but then there was going to be a big play and there was going to be a comeback. And at the end of the day, I took Byron Nelson by seven. Byron Nelson won by seven. So it was exactly as I expected it to be. But I'm very concerned at that, the fact that that game got to 52-45. Because if if, Cop- if, if Coppell can score 45 points against Byron Nelson, South Lake Carroll can score 45 points against Byron Nelson. So then the question is, can Byron Nelson replicate that level of offense against a Carroll defense who is going to have made adjustments, who seems to have taken that game personally and grown from it, whereas Byron Nelson seems to have taken that game with lack of humility, for lack of better terms. Like, they got excited. They won their Super Bowl, and now they've kind of been not at that same level there. Now, can they get back to that level? Yes, they can get back to that level. But, you know, we're talking about Jacob Jordan. He, he could be back for this game from what I understand, and that's a big game-changing threat that they're going to have in there. Wide receivers coming back. Uh, it's probably the easiest position to reintegrate into the offense because of just the nature of what the wide receiver does. And even if he doesn't have a great game, you still have to give him attention. If he's out there on the field, if they're going to put him out there on the field, that's a player that you have to keep an eye on and, and, and kind of scheme for and understand that which could open up their other receivers. And what we've seen from that Byron Nelson game since then, they've started to use uh, Riley Wormley more uh, as a receiver out of the backfield, which a lot of teams haven't had an answer for. You know, Davis Penn uh, has 
served as a really good compliment to him running the ball and also catching the ball out of the backfield as well. So you're seeing new wrinkles from South Lake, and you expect that with a Riley, Do- a Riley Dodge coach team. I haven't seen any new wrinkles out of uh, uh, Byron Nelson other than the fact that they're running their quarterback a little bit more. Tom Von Grote uh, has had a few excellent plays against Coppell where you know, it was a little bit of option football. But I think South Lake Carroll is going to get their lick back in this game. I think uh, Byron Nelson peaked too early, and since then they haven't shown me that they're going to replicate that high level. They've had four weeks to replicate that high level. I haven't seen it once. I haven't looked at one game where I've gone, man, Byron Nelson is the dominant team we were expecting after that Carroll game, whereas Carroll – Beat, I mean, we, I, had, I had a couple of people do research projects on this, and the worst time we could see uh, Highland Park lose by as many points as they did against South Lake Carroll were in 1940, when they, when they lost like Sherman in the playoffs at that point, and before that it was Mount Pleasant beating 29 nothing in like the mid 90s. So what South Lake Carroll did to Highland Park was make a dominant statement, and Byron Nelson had the chance to earn the style points against Coppell. And again, it takes nothing away from Coppell, and we take nothing away from Highland Park at the same level. It was a back and forth, you know, a puckering game. You know, there there were times in that game you could have watched that game and thought to yourself, Byron Nelson may lose this game if one more thing goes against them. And it didn't, and then they held on to that 52-45 win. But again, it just comes down to the fact if Coppell is able to score 45 against uh, Byron Nelson, so is South Lake Carroll. So I don't think that that dominant defense is going to shut South Lake Carroll down again. Now it's incumbent on their offense to return fire. Can Byron Nelson's offense get win another shootout against a team as talented as South Lake Carroll? I'd say the signs are pointing to no. I'm going to take Carroll by a touchdown in a very similar t- style of game to the Coppell game. See, all, all that you said, I, I would not have expected you to say Carroll by just a touchdown. The way you were talking, I was thinking you were going to say 17 or 20. So that right there gives me a lot more hope for Nelson than I did w- when you started your, your diatribe or whatever you want to call it. That gives me a little bit more hope from Nelson because you just you just said by seven. Is it because they've proven they can beat him before oh, and they know, know they know they can do it? Even though their defense is not playing up to par right now, they can turn that thing around. They've proven they can pick off Graham Knowles. They can make the turnovers they need. And, and maybe they can turn this thing around, even though, what do we got, a night game at Choctaw. So it would be the last one uh, out of these playoff rounds for us to figure out what's going to happen. Is There is a path for Byron to win again, even though we both agree that Riley Dodge, even though he's probably telling the media after every game, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about the next game, the next game, and then he runs down into his basement like a mad scientist and is writing up plays on how he's going to take care of, of Byron Nelson. And now this is the week he can put them all together, and lay it out there, and let's okay, let's get let's get our lick back. And ultimately, if Graham Knowles throws three interceptions again, that's how Byron Nelson wins that game. If if we're, if it's physical play on the Byron Nelson part to get separation and, and steal balls from uh, the, the South Lake receivers, or if it's them understanding the schemes of what South Lake Carroll's doing to where they're able to jump the routes. If they're able to generate three turnovers, they're going to, they're going to win this game. I just can't see with every, all the brain trust over at South Lake Carroll and Knowles is a very heady player as well. I think he learned from that play, that game. He's not going to throw three interceptions again. And you're seeing that through the, the schemes of what uh, Carroll is doing. Doing quick passes, get it, get it out to your running back. Those are low 
probability interception passes right there. And if they're able to get those little five to seven yard bubble screens and kind of take that down the field and take what Byron Nelson is going to give them and avoid having to go deep to where Byron Nelson's secondary and their athleticism can make a play uh, against uh, South Lake Carroll's receivers where they have a bit of an advantage, especially if Jacob Jordan is not playing uh, in the game. I mean, he's an OU commit. When you have that kind of player out there, you can trust him to make the one-on-one plays against the DBs. The receivers that they have right now, I don't know that they trust. So now they know they can't trust the receivers in those one-on-one battles so they can uh, they can game plan accordingly. I think those adjustments are going to help South Lake Carroll make the necessary moves in, in, in the chess game to take care of Byron Nelson. But again, it's not going to be easy. I don't think it's going to look anything like the Highland Park game. And boy, there was a clip in the Highland Park game where you could see it was like a Davis Penn 90-yard run where that offensive line just completely created, uh, you know, just created a huge hole for uh, for them. And so their offensive line is playing at a high level right now. And that's, I think, going to be another X factor for South Lake Carroll is that their offensive line took it personally. And I think they've gotten better every week, whereas there's been a sense of complacency with Byron Nelson since their win. Coach Pride, in my eyes, is going to have to have a wrinkle, a new wrinkle nobody's seen in the 13 games on either offense or defense that really stymies South Lake Carroll for at least a possession or two before they get it together. They need to, and they need to take advantage of those two possessions. Whatever that wrinkle is, that's what's going to happen for them to get that win. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that that's the thing, you know, if they can figure that out, if they can, that, that replay, that re- that reverses that seven points. If they can, you know, just get ahead of them for a couple possessions. Now Byron Nelson is trending toward that seven point win, but I just trust the, the Carroll machine right now. And they are playing at an incredibly high level. When you look at what they have done since that game, and you look at what uh, Byron Nelson has done that since that game, it's been two completely different trajectories. Take the dragons. Well, a machine that I seem to like is the DeSoto Eagles. You're not going to catch me picking against them the next three weeks because we talked about how Byron Nelson felt that Southlake game was their Super Bowl, and it's kind of we were worried that was the case with DeSoto over Duncanville, but I don't think neither one of us worry about that anymore. That thing is just moving, and if you don't want to get get hit by this train, get get off the tracks because it's coming through. And I was hoping for a, a good game against Willis. Heck, I, I must have talked about it for three weeks. And they did let Lagway get his stats, but man, you you never thought in that game, even when it was seventeen all, that they were going to even come close to losing that one. Now they have a Cedar Hill team that Cedar Hill is going to have to make it a testy game, like they did the first time. It's it's probably going to have to be ugly. There's probably going to be some unnecessary penalties like that the first game in order to just you know make it a, a backyard brawl like like Pittsburgh West Virginia and the in college football is it's going to have to be nasty and gritty like that for Cedar Hill to even get back in this thing, get in this thing. You have invoked West Virginia before I have invoked Plano East. I, I don't How about know that? going wrong with this podcast there, but consider Plano East invoked. And I, at the end of the day, uh, I, I look at this game and it, I, it is a little bit disrespectful. Cedar Hill is where they are because of their bracket. They aren't where they aren't there because they've been beating dominant teams uh, in upset after upset after upset. They have beat teams that are not as good as them. And they've just been in their schedule. They've been three straights. They've beat them badly. They've beat them pretty badly. 
They did, but at the same time, in, in the playoffs, you can start to do that a little bit more because when you're that much better than a team, it's going to snowball. You see a lot of blowouts in state championship games at times because you know one team is playing at such a high level and the other team just hadn't faced the competition. And what we learned in that 12-6A is that 12-6A just wasn't ready for 11-6A because we thought they were better than they were, and when it was time to play ball, Cedar Hill took care of business. But Tom Ball and uh, you know, North Forney, this is not the bracket of doom that they've had to go through to get to this point. DeSoto playing Willis has played better teams now than Cedar Hill has, despite the fact that uh, the, the, the journey that they've come to get here. I think not only DeSoto wins by more than they did the first time, I think we could have a full-on route embarrassment. I, I, I can see this game going like 63-14. I, I think DeSoto is going to beat Cedar Hill at a very high level because DeSoto is just that much better than Cedar Hill. You need to take it down a notch or your DMs are going to get crushed by my girl, Olivia. She ain't going to put up with this nonsensical talking. Uh, give, her, give her a little hope. No hope? You give, you, what, what's the Cedar Hill case? You give, you give the Cedar Hill case because I don't have one. Uh, I guess I don't have a case for me either. But I don't like to hear the word destroyed. And I got my man James Harris coming off the bench for this one. Where do you ready to go? Cedar Hill. And, uh, I, I can see Cedar Hill scoring on DeSoto, but I can't see Cedar Hill stopping DeSoto. So how many ever possessions you get, they're going to score 90% of those possessions. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, what do you do with it? It is the defense, you're right. I mean, offensively, I saw those big offensive linemen Cedar Hill had against uh, when they played Wachahatchee and, and – they just weren't moving anybody. They were just big guys that people could get around. But I, I feel like they've gotten that together. Maybe they've got better footing or what have you and, and open up some holes. But, yeah, it may be the defense part. It will be the defense part that's going to – I mean, I don't know how you stop this train. Uh, it, if you don't have a defense, like Willis didn't have a defense, that was 65. It could have been – you know, it could have been Spring-Westfield 78 right there. So they're, they're just a train that's hard to get out of the way from. And, and the only thing I think that would keep the score being worse is the fact that both teams like, you know, especially right now, that both teams like to run the ball. And that might, you know, zap clock a bit to where you're only having four possessions a half. And if you have four possessions a half, you can't get to 60 uh, just because of the math there. Uh, but I think, again, that DeSoto is going to score on most of their possessions, how many ever there are. And I don't think Cedar Hill is going to score on most of their possessions. So however that ends up rolling out, I think DeSoto is going to, going to win big. I mean, Duncanville couldn't slow DeSoto. I mean, you know, they, what DeSoto did to Willis looked like they, what they did to Duncanville. They just kind of had their way with them. And, you know, DJ Bailey got it back and, you know, they didn't ask him to do too much and he didn't have to do too much because Tiger Ryden was able to run the ball and, and they're just able to pound the ball behind that offensive line. It shows that they have a multiplicity of looks. If Cedar Hill tries to take away the run and it starts one-on-one, they're just going to throw over the top. If Cedar Hill has to respect the receivers, they're going to pound the ball at eight to 12 yards a clip. Cedar Hill can't stop. Uh, so, you know, the only thing you can hope for is the weather makes the ball slippery. You get a turnover or two. You get a special teams play or two. But at the end of the day, DeSoto has not had many turnovers this year. I mean, I think overall this whole year we're on game 14. I think they've had less than 10 turnovers. So you can't go in here hoping you're going to get three or four turnovers in the game because DeSoto is just not going to give it to you. Right. Exactly. All right. Let's move to – well, before we move to 5A, let me give you a couple of Houston quick hits. We got – in 6A Division One Region Three, you got North Shore Tascosita. We have seen this; they've played each other ten times over the last seven years. North Shore's won the last seven. This last game was by 26 points. It wasn't even a game. It's not going to be a game this time. I just don't think a Tascosita has what it 
it takes to keep it close. I don't think anybody has what it takes to keep it close for North Shore until they get to the state championship. And then our boards at Summer Creek, they got uh, Fort Bend Hightower. If you were a Houston analyst, you would tell me Hightower just doesn't have the depth to stick with Summer Creek. And that's exactly what I'm saying to you now. I'm taking your words and throwing them back at you. Hightower has very talented skill position players, but they do not have the depth and they don't have the defense that's going to slow down Summer Creek, who is also on a mission for a game with DeSoto, which I've already told you I'm picking DeSoto. I'm not, I'm not picking against them this year, so... Take that, DeSoto Media guy. You can't use me this year. But I ain't picking against you. That's the way it is. All right, now can we move to 5A? Let's move to 5A Division One. 5A Ward. Got a game up in uh, Stephenville, Tarleton. We got the uh, Alito Bearcats taking on Abilene. Abilene took care of our Justin Northwest, so we don't have a rematch game there. But we do have an Alito team taking on Abilene, and Alito took care of Red Oak fairly easily at Choctaw. Uh, and now they have an Abilene squad. So tell me what you think about this one. Yeah, I'm going to still double down on my comments that something is not quite right with Alito right now. And even though I feel like that, their odds of winning the state championship because of the rest of the state has just increased significantly. But you look at that Red Oak game, and Red Oak still didn't have their quarterback in that game. And Red Oak was still able to score, you know, 30 points against Alito. And uh, obviously Alito, you know, beat him by 24 and, and was able to more than uh, compensate for their lack of defensive performance. But all of a sudden we're just getting to a point where the, these games are going to get more high stakes and more high stakes. And what is, you know, we're a mistake or two away from Alito. If they make the mistake or two in the game, they're not going to be able to over overcompensate that. And, and kind of looking ahead, I see Forney and Forney being the kind of team that could create that sort of problem. If Forney gives us their best version of themselves, but you know, just like Byron Nelson, I'm very disappointed in their win over Calpell. I'm very disappointed in 40's win over Richland, give, letting them get 40 points against them. So you have a lot of teams that just have issues right now, and they're not playing their best football, but we're getting to the point where there's only eight teams left, so somebody's going to win a state championship, maybe not playing their best football. So who is the less broken team at the end of the day? I was really looking forward to Longview at their best being able to play um, – being able to play Alito at their best, but Taylor Tatum had a wrist problem. He was out. Lancaster was able to take advantage of that. And now we got Lancaster versus 40, and you're thinking to yourself, Diggs, I queued you up, Abilene and Alito. Yeah. But it's all interconnected at the end of the day because I'm looking at how each of these teams are playing relative to what I call their potential ceiling. And Abilene, give them credit out of all four of these teams that I'm talking about in this, in our DFW area, I think Abilene has played at the max of their potential ceiling, but their potential ceiling is not that great. I mean, that the, their West Texas performances have not been very good. They, they took care of Denton Ryan when Denton Ryan lost their quarterback, and then they had four turnovers in that game. They took care of Justin Northwest defensively, but that was a game we weren't expecting Justin Northwest to win anyway. Justin Northwest got third place in their own district at the end of the day. And, you know, so they've been struggling and they, and now you got Abilene and, and Alito. It's going to look like the Lubbock Cooper game uh, where I think we're going to get some points scored. It's going to be a 48 minute game because Alito is not white, where I, I see them. But I still think Alito is going to win this game by at least three scores, but it's going to be one of those games where you can look at these mistakes and go, man, if, if, Abilene was a better team. They could have taken advantage of these, but they weren't. I mean, we, we keep talking about Alito. Alito's of their 22 players, probably 15 or 16 of them are going to play college football. I mean, we're, we're talking about a really talented football team that's just overcoming their mistakes right now. And 
they're good enough to do that. And we, and we knew how good Alito was last year. Uh, but last year, I felt like they were a team that was at the top of their uh, performance ceiling, their, their potential ceiling. This year, I don't feel that way, but they're just winning on talent alone. And we've seen with Denton Ryan in the past that when you're just the better team, you're going to win a lot of games. But when you get hit in the mouth, when you have a Highland Park, when you have somebody who is well coached, who is playing at their potential ceiling, that's where you can run into problems, and that's what I'm worried about with Alito. But they may not see a team you know, who's within 21 points of them all year, given what happened last week at, in the Longview versus Lancaster game. And that may happen the next two years. I mean, we've been talking this whole podcast about how this is – or the whole season about how this is going to be Alito's swan song in 5A where the numbers came out, and they're still in 5A after this. They came up a couple couple kids short of going up to 6A, so instead of seeing them in a in a – District with maybe North Crowley and all of them in 6A and, and Trinity, they're, they'll be back in 5A and they'll probably be in a favorable district and they'll keep their district winning streak going on. So this may not, this is not their swan song. And Abilene, to get a win, they're going to, they're going to have to have a 3-4 turnover game, I would think. Yeah, but you, you talk about, as we like to do in the, in the podcast, we like to look at 2024, 2025. DeSoto is very likely to go 5A yeah, right now. now. Sweet. So now you got DeSoto Alito kind of as your, your big game. And Den Ryan is sitting there probably in that same region as well, even if, if they're not in the same district. So lots of fun things. I, I don't think Alito has an easy path, especially with DeSoto and Highland Park dropping down to 5A Division One. Uh, they're going to be tested. And that's why exactly why I agree with DeSoto's decision, by the way to keep the 5A numbers because they are going to be tested in ways. And if you look at some of their projected districts, they might have to be playing against Highland Park and Tyler High. Uh, in, in some ways, their district in 5A, some of the projected districts I've seen, might be harder from top to bottom than it would have been in 6A. They won't have that high-end competition with Duncanville, but as we talked about, you can schedule Duncanville in non-district, and I'm sure they would be happy to have an extra game. And we would love it. We will have cameras there. Ward, if we have Duncanville DeSoto next year in pre-district, will you commit to us right now? I'll you commit. will have a camera there. I'll commit. I'm committing. There I'm you committing go. Here live on, on TV. Board, 2024 game planning right now as right. we talk about all that. All that to say, Alito, heavy favorite over uh, Abilene to take care of business. What might not be so uh, so intellectual and inferred is the Forney versus Lancaster game because we've already seen this game once. It's a rematch. It's a lickback game. And that game was a one-point game that Forney won because Lancaster missed an extra point. So now you got Lancaster playing at a much higher level. And I, I think an amazing story that uh, my guy, Coach Penderob, told me about, and, and that's, that's a bigger story for a bigger day, was the uh, the, the – the kicker for Lancaster when they kicked that walk-off field goal against Lancaster, that was his, or against Longview, that was his first made field goal of the year. Oh, wow. And so talk about redemption in that game. Does he miss the extra point uh, to, to cost him that game against uh, Forney and to make that field goal? I can't, I, I'm getting excited for that kid. How great is it to beat basically the number one team in your region, the number one team in your district, the number two team in the state, because you kicked a field goal right. to win the game in a huge upset. Props awesome. to that kid. We see you on the Digging for Wisdom podcast. I don't know your name, but we see you. <laughs> we see you. We just don't see the back of your jersey. That's the name. Don't see the back of your jersey. jersey. This should be a pretty good game. Speaking about swan songs, this will be Lancaster's <clears throat> swan song in 5A. They're moving up to 6A next year. So maybe that's energized them through, you know, starting off 2 and 5, and now they're, they're pushing their way through, and, and they got a they got a 40 team that you said you weren't very proud of their defense. I wasn't proud of their offense two weeks ago when uh, 
Uh, quarterback Crawford was throwing off his back foot. He wasn't doing that in this game. Uh, the, the highlights I saw against Richland, they were solid passes down the middle all over the place for the points that they did score. But this game's out in Rockwall. It should be an interesting game. Tell me what you think is going to – is it going to be another one-point game? I, I know the kicker made the kick, but I don't think they want to re- rely on him yet again in another game, right? Let's give him a name right now because I've got it give up it here. Andreas Castro. Okay. Andreas Castro, 37-yard like field goal to win the game. We got you, Andreas Castro. And, and we you are our official – we're not going to give you a bobblehead because Ward is, just doesn't like giving you a bobblehead. But you are our DFW Kicker of the Week, the Digging for Wisdom podcast Kicker of the Week. Congratulations, sir. We, 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 we salute you. Uh, but let's talk about the other 22 players in that game in, in Forney versus uh, Lancaster. Forney is a team that I am just consistently frustrated with because they are a team. I talk about this potential ceiling and, and, and reaching the level of your potential, and they're just not quite there. The quarterback play is erratic. The defense is erratic at times. Uh, they're a very big play defense. And, you know, on paper, they look like they should be able to shut everybody down to 14 points. But in, in actuality, they're giving up big plays and allowing for chunk yardage. And they're still generating some turnovers even when they're doing that. But they still haven't played a perfect game. And we got to get to a point now when we are in the regional finals where you got to play a perfect game. we got to see a game where you are playing at a very high level at some point. And Alito has the talent to, they can get away with not playing a perfect game uh, at, at some point, even though I think earlier in the year Alito to look better than they do right now at the end of the year. Uh, but Forney still isn't giving us that. And I'm very one, I'm curious if Forney can give us that at all. Uh, Lancaster is starting to give us more of that, uh, being able to beat a Longview team. Yeah, they lost Taylor Tatum, and, and that's horrible, but their defense was fine. And, and that was the heart of their team is Lancaster's defense. And or Longview's defense, and Lancaster was still able to shut out the offense in the second half, which you kind of expect without Taylor Tatum, but to put up important, timely points against uh, against Longview, and they took advantage of Longview's mistakes, and they were able to win that game. If if Longview, if, if Lancaster, so many teams here, uh, if, if Lancaster gives us the performance that they gave against Longview, they should beat Forney. If Forney gives us the performance that I think and know that they have in them, I think if both teams play at their best, Forney should win the game. But Lancaster has given me more confidence that they would play at their best. But in Fleener, I trust, even though my heart is telling me I need to go with Lancaster in this game, I think Forney is just a better team at the end of the day, and it's hard to pick against the better team, even though they haven't played up to that. And it's the same thing I did with Louisville and Allen, and it bit me. I thought Louisville was the better team and they go out there and they do what they've done all year and they let me down because they were the better team but they didn't play like the better team if that happens I'm going to look like an idiot again but I trust that Forney is the better team in this case even though Lancaster has done everything you could ask for they cut down to the one quarterback their running game has been incredible they've overcome injuries on the defensive side of the ball they're playing lights out at a very high level I just think Forney has more talent Two running backs that are absolutely red hot right now, and, and, and at the right time too, with Javion Osborne and Kawan Lacey. They're they're both blazing right when their teams need them at the need them the most. They can break off at any point. So this should be interesting. Who's going to get the big run? Who's going to which one of them is going to get the big fifty yarder? And you may need two or three fifty yarders to get through that one. All right, let's move over to Division Two, Emerson against Colleyville Heritage. Man, I you know I got to start off with the apology to Colleyville because we saw him on our air one time. 
and they were kicking the crap out of Grapevine, uh, the time we did sue him, and I completely underestimated the, the speed of their quarterback, Luke Ulrich. Boy, is he a fast guy, man. Nobody expects that out of him. because I mean, I guess you expect it a little because he was a wide receiver before he became a quarterback, but the way he took off all over the place and handled coming from behind against Argyle, making the key throws, making the key runs, I think he totaled 400 yards of total offense in that game. And then you had Emerson with their guy, Michael Hawkins, who is just as dangerous a dual threat, if not more dangerous, because he's got the juke moves. He's, I mean, he's got speed too, but he can use his uh, elusiveness as well. Well, I think that's going to be a fun game at the start. Yeah, I, I'm going to give you the microphone a little bit because you saw both teams back-to-back. That was your first game on, on Friday and your second game on Friday. And both teams had you know areas where you go, okay, th- th- this element of the game, this quarter of the game was fantastic, but then you can look at a couple of other sides on for Frisco Emerson. After you left, I think they were sad that you left and decided we're going to put our JV out here and not care very, very much. In Colleyville Heritage, you know, the ending of that game was an incredible ending. They're able to score 14 points in the last five minutes of the game to come back. So with what you saw, Frisco Emerson way achieved. Like they finally gave us in that first half against Ryder the game we were hoping for. It's kind of what I've been talking about with Forney. Like, can you give a, can you give us a full game? Can you give us something yeah. where we can have the confidence in you? And you actually got to see it. So right. that, since you're the only person in the world who's actually got to see Emerson play their best half of the year, what did you take out of it? And then getting to see Colleyville Heritage right after that. I saw a team that had a good, a good defensive game plan. That one, the offense we knew was going to be good. Uh, uh, the kid Lockhart is, is underestimated because we talk about Hawkins as much. We used to talk about Izzy Bills and he still gets the Izzy Bills. He still gets the ball a lot, but Lockhart, the underclassman is, is a great runner in out of the passing game as well. Gives him a sweet option to dump it down to, but you have to remember in that second half, you say they played a bad second half, and they did, but Coach Miller put the backups in and left them in. Even when they kept coming coming back, they were still out there. Uh, we know we had Coach, we had Mike Hawkins on there. He said, yeah, I was ready to go if they needed me back in there, but they didn't really need to, to put them back in there. So, And I've seen them a full game against Argyle where they had to play the whole game and try to get back in it. And that I, maybe I got the good half there because they came storming back in the second half with a couple good plays there as well. I, when you compare those two, what I what I saw most was the Heritage line off defensive line, which I didn't expect it either. They're they're big guys here that that kind of gobbled up the Argyle running backs at least in the first half. They obviously put some points on the board in the second half. Uh, I didn't expect a big offensive defensive line. I think the the coach from Harker Heights that came through there was Coach Edwards, right? Steve. Yep. I forgot his first name already. And He's, Jerry. He, Jerry Edwards. Yes, he came with the plan. That plan's working. I didn't think it was working in non-district because they took that loss to Texas high and they barely got past Ennis. They only put up 10 points. I was like, oh, man, this offense may not have what it takes. But I think the offense does have what it takes. And I I just think this is going to be a back-and-forth game. I do think at the back end of it, Emerson's going to come out on top. But that's that's me being disrespectful to Colleyville, and, and they'll, they'll show them this, and Colleyville will end up winning, I'm sure. And I feel the same way. And you can look at it as, well, what what more can Colleyville Heritage do? We beat the team that beat you. Uh, why can't we have our flowers at the end of the day? 
And, and I've admitted I have a problem. Uh, I have multiple problems, but one problem I have is I get fixed on a couple of games. Like if, if I see this game, I can't get past it. And the fact that, you know, Collinville's got about three of those games that I can't get past. You know, I can't get past the fact that they beat Wyatt by seven. I can't get past the fact that they lost to Texas High. And I can't get past the fact that they beat Ennis, you know, 10 to seven. And you can look at two of those games being, you know, three months ago, but O.D. Wyatt was – four weeks ago. So, you know, we're right before the playoff run uh, goes, O.D. White was able to do some things. And to me, and, and this is disrespectful, and, and I can only double down, and sometimes we have games where we, we think Team A is going to beat Team B, and Team B wins, and it just turns out Team B was a better team. And we just didn't know it at the time, and Team B was just a better team. And, you know, they win 24-7, to 7, and you're just like, well, you tip your hat, you're wrong about it. But sometimes you have upsets, you know, an upset – uh, where you have a game, if you put it in a generator 10 times, eight times one team would win and two times the other team would win. And I think this is a case where Colleyville upset Argyle legitimately. I mean, there's not very many times where Argyle is going to give up a 10-point lead with five minutes left in, in the game. I mean, you can look at the probability of that even at the, if you – you looked at ESPN's GameCast, and they have like the percentages at, at certain times of the game. I bet Argyle was probably 90 to 95% when they just scored to go up 34-24. Give Colleyville Heritage the credit for coming back and taking care of business, but they won on a 10% likelihood. And then earlier in the game, Argyle had the opportunity to, uh, to kick field goals, uh, and they didn't convert fourth downs, and that was a problem that – gave Colleyville Heritage hidden points or, you know, that kept Argyle from having that lead be even bigger. If all of those, if, if only one of those two fourth down conversions uh, happens, we're still talking about uh, Argyle being up by three scores and Colleyville Heritage probably not able to come back. So even with all of that, I think Colleyville Heritage upset Argyle. And I think Emerson uh, is a better, I think Emerson's a better team than Argyle and they would have won that rematch. And I think Emerson will beat uh, Colleyville Heritage in, in their game. The only thing that kind of worries me is I think this is going to be an offensive shootout because I don't trust Emerson's defense. But Emerson's defense against Wichita Falls Ryder, a very good Ryder offense, they shut him down. So may, finally we saw Emerson give us a good defensive performance, even though people are going to look at the end of the game and see that Ryder got 40 points. Well, 28 of that was on the fourth quarter against backups. So I think uh, Emerson is going to win uh, against Colleyville Heritage by 14. Both of these teams defensively, in my mind, need to have a spy for the other quarterback. If they're playing man-to-man and not having a spy there on each of the quarterback, it could be whichever team does not do that. It could be a long night uh, if the offensive coordinator or the opposing team catches wind of it and, and, and sends that guy taking off all over the place because that's how well the spy plays or whatever you want to call him. I call him a spy. How well he plays is probably going to judge who, who, who doesn't score on their possessions because, like you said, it's going to go back and forth scoring-wise, especially if it's indoors, no weather elements at all. That thing is going to go back and forth, so you're going to need to contain those those dual threats. All right, buddy boy, let's go down to that bottom half. It's uh, it's another one that you, you didn't want to go to Choctaw, but it's it's not your day. You're going to I Choctaw. I don't want to go to Mineral Wells either, but here we are. <laughs> you don't want to go to a lot of places, but you didn't have much, much often, off, options. And to, to add to it, you got the Big 12 championship there too, so you're probably going to park in uh, – you might as well just stay in Parker and walk in. Or walk take on a, in take an Uber ride in, but it's the big one. It's our game of the week. It's Lovejoy. It's uh, South Oak Cliff. Again, James is coming off the bench to shoot that one for me as I head down to 
the Duncanville game to shoot that one. Talk to me about what you think. To me, if Lovejoy has a chance ever in the last three years when they played him, this is their best chance because of the way they're playing defensively, because of the leadership of, of Pierce, Peyton Pierce. And now you, you're talking about maybe Parker Livingston coming back, Livingstone coming back for this one. Uh, it could be something nice there for Lovejoy. But you think they can get past Sock or will Sock bully ball him again? You know, we talk about the lickback games, and we have the lickback games within the regular season where we're going to have some rematches. But now, just like we have Westfield and Duncanville three over the last three years, we've got Lovejoy Sock three. It's the third time that they've played in the last couple of years. And every single year, Ward, I've picked Lovejoy to beat South Oak Cliff. And uh, just like our touchdown Teddy would tell me, why do you keep picking against Highland Park at home? I've done that a couple of times this year, you know, against McKinney and against Louisville. I went 0 for 2. I've gone 0 for 2. If you keep picking against these teams long enough is finally going to pay off. And, you know, I picked against Highland Park against South Lake Carroll. Finally, you know, I, I might've gone six and six picking against Highland Park this year. Uh, but the last one is what they'll all remember. Uh, there are a couple of elements that I'm really considering with this game when I'm considering the analytics of this game. First of all, Lovejoy defensively is fantastic. I mean, they've done everything you could want this year. They dominated Melissa. They dominated Texas High, a state-ranked team. They beat them by three scores. They've done everything you could want them to do defensively. And offensively, they've just been a patchwork team held together by duct tape, and it still works. And then you, you mentioned the big thing. You got Parker Livingstone coming back potentially uh, this week. Uh, he was an, announced as cleared by doctors. It's just going to be how he, you know, can he return to full speed and can they use him in the game uh, based on his performances and practices. So he is going to most likely play in this game. And if he is at full speed, he's going to be an, an element that I don't know if South Oak Cliff will have an answer for. And just him being on the field is going to clear up Dalen McCutcheon to be able to do things. And we kept talking about Rich Barker. We've talked about Veritini. Uh Rich Barker has been hurt. He may be back in this game. You know, Jalen Lott may be back in this game. We, 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 we've just been waiting week after week. Will they get their guys back? I think they're going to probably have two or three of these guys back this week, although I don't have any uh, firsthand knowledge of that. The, the Parker Livingstone stuff is out there on the Internet, so I can say it. You know, I, I can say I know he's going to be in there. Uh, I mean, I knew he was going to be in there, but it wasn't my uh, – was my place to throw it out there uh, in, in, on the uh, podcast. Uh, the other two, I don't have personal knowledge of, of whether they're, they're not going to play. But at this point, I think just Parker being back is enough. If they get another one of those two back, it's just, you know, at that point, it's just uh, top, you know, window dressing. But one thing I worry, and you're going to hate this word, so go ahead and start to cringe a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I think of Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. And it's like when Cooper Rush is in the game for the Cowboys, they game plan in such a way to where it's like, you know, let's let our defense win these games. Let's just go out there and play ugly football. And if we get a big play here because it's there, we'll take it. But, you know, and I feel like Lovejoy has been playing that way. They have, they've just been playing a very conservative offensive mindset because all of their weapons aren't there. They're missing three of their best uh, four receivers at the end of the day. So I think they've been playing more of the running game. Uh, you know, they've been taking a deep shot here and there. 
I remember that game against College Station. They probably took 10 deep shots in that game. Now they're down to one or two because they don't want a situation where uh, they're putting their defense in bad situations. So I wonder if in a way, if, if they get a couple of these weapons back, might they start to open up the offense in a way that could actually hurt them? You know, I, I remember, you know, with Cooper Rush coming in there, it's like they played better with him in there than they did with Dak in there at times because of the the offensive coordinator and the way he felt like he had to call the game to compensate for the fact that they didn't have all of their, their guns uh, playing. That being said, even without them in there, I, I look at their defense, and I think their defense is good enough to slow South, uh, South Oak Cliff down, uh, and I think their offense has been good enough to score. I look at the last two weeks. Melissa scored 30 against South Oak Cliff. Uh, Midlothian Heritage scored 31 against South Oak Cliff. South Oak Cliff just scored 38 and 42. Uh, I don't see them scoring 38 or 42 against this Lovejoy defense. And if I can see Lovejoy scoring at least as much as Melissa and Midlothian Heritage did, so even without uh, Parker Livingstone or, or Ridge Tenney or any of those players in there, Bear Tenney or uh, Ridge Barker in the game. So I think – this could be a big win for Lovejoy. You know, I don't want to go and say I think Lovejoy is going to win this game by three touchdowns, but I can see how it happens. I can see how if Lovejoy is defense is able to shut down uh, South Oak Cliff the way they shut down Melissa's offense, that could it could go like that because you you see these games where if the defense is good enough to shut down the opposing uh, opposing team's offense. That's it. You know, look at Malakoff and Grandview last week. Malakoff wins 42-7 to over a really good Grandview team because Grandview couldn't get their offense going. But Malakoff was able to do their thing against against uh, Grand, Grandview's defense. If Lovejoy can do their thing against South Oak Cliff's defense, which nothing has said they're not going to be able to, can South Oak Cliff answer score for score? With this defense, I think the answer is no. Give me Lovejoy. Yeah. Listen, scoring score for score is one thing, but if, if if this happens again like it's happened the last two years, if South Oak Cliff comes out there, pops them in the mouth, come and, and they fold like lawn chairs like they did the last two years, I can't first of all I can't tell you how disappointed I'll be because I'm looking for this game to go back and forth, even though you say you, you can't see it score for score. If it's score for score like seven fourteen seven at half 14, 14 at the end of the third where they go back and forth, but there's a lot of time in between the scores. Then I, you know, sock has proven to me that they can pull this thing out at the end. They'll find some way to do it. Second scenario, sock pops them in the mouth. They fold again. I would, you know, after the conversations I've had with Peyton Pierce, coach Ross, if that happens, I'll just, I'll just be dis- I'll be beside myself. I don't think that would happen to sock because they've even shown that to you against Midlothian heritage. They can take a couple shots and still come back. Granted, it's a completely different defense with Lovejoy. They can come back. So that's scenario two. Scenario three is is what you've been saying over and over again. Lovejoy goes out to get their offense clicking. McCutcheon gets adds on to his 87 catches this year and and, and makes some plays because Parker's over there and the, he's getting a lot of attention and that gets McCutcheon one-on-one and, and they can pull that thing out that way. I kind of – one scenario one to happen where it goes back and forth and somebody pulls it out at the end, a big turnover here, big play on defense there. That to me would be a, a game of the week worthy type ending. You know, and, and I think what Lovejoy has done is they've learned from their mistakes and 
play, being able to play North Crowley this year the way they did. Uh, because North Crowley last year, we didn't know what we were getting out of that game. It was a 50-50 game at that point. We knew North Crowley was going to beat up Lovejoy this year. so And that was good for them because now they're going to look across the field at South Oak Cliff and go, yeah, we've kind of seen this before. This is not the first time. We're not going to be as intimidated by South Oak Cliff as we would have been because we've already seen North Crowley. We saw a better team, and we, we took our licks. We got beat by North Crowley. We got beat by North Crowley bad, just like y'all got beat by DeSoto and Duncanville bad. Uh, and so I think that them having taken that loss earlier in the year is going to make them a better team for this game. Uh, and I think that's an X factor that – South Oak Cliff and Lovejoy didn't have the last two years because Lovejoy uh, had been playing teams like Melissa and Argyle, these kind of uh, air raid offenses where you're just going to score uh, a lot of points. Now they got hit in the face and they got beat up in they got bully ball against Lovejoy or against uh, North Crowley. So they've already experienced that and they, and they got that lesson and they learned from it. And remember that was again, the Parker Livingstone got hurt and it was a game where a rain delay kind of changed the pace of that game because they were up on North Crowley before all of that crazy stuff happened before they lost Livingstone and before the rain delay. So I think they can look back and say, you know what? We have competed with one of the best five teams in the state of Texas. We can play with sock. We're not going to be intimidated by them. And I'm going to – I think I'll know everything I'll need to know about that game the way South Oak Cliff walks out. Because the last two years when I yeah. saw South Oak Cliff walk out, it's like you knew they knew yep. they were going to win this game. Absolutely. And, and then you're just like, well, you know, here we go. Uh, so when they walk out, if I know that they know they're going to win this game, they're going to win this game. But I think if they come out and they're wondering and they're like, oh, well, this is a good game, we don't know, I think Lovejoy's going to win. Excellent, excellent. And you'll be at that one, right? You, I'll you're be there. Committed to. That's right. I already got you your pass. So what am I talking about? And approved. And approved. And All approved. right. Anna, did you just say Anna? Let's talk about Anna against Stephenville. That's in the four A bracket. First of all, before I'm gonna let you talk about Anna and Panther Creek because that was just a tremendous game. I wish I could have stayed for the whole thing. It's good to see Jacob Edwards back completely healthy because he was a definite, definite uh, factor in that game, but. Man, I got a bone to pick with Coach Elliott over there at Solana, and I can do it here and not in front of him because that guy would knock me out quick. That guy lifts more weights in a little bit. But, man, it's got to be the last five to ten years. Anytime I see a Solana game shot, if I shoot it myself or somebody else does, they get down to the goal line in a close game. They're either, they either peel off a tight end, run the play to the right, and throw back to the left for a touchdown, or they do a halfback reverse where the running back throws it and that's in the that's in the play that's in the scouting report. Everybody knows it now, and Stephenville knew it, and they got the pick in the end zone, and they saw saw it coming. They picked it off, and in a game that was seven to three, they needed to make some more plays. They probably needed to pound the thing in there, maybe go away from what's on the scouting report and get in the end zone by just using pure muscle, run it between the tackles or what have you. They went to the trick play again. So, like I said, it's on the scouting report. Stephenville was ready for it. They made the pick. Then they actually beat them on a trick play themselves. So they ended up beating them with their own medicine. But Stephenville now, after going through a 7-3 game, they're going up against the Anna team who likes to score as much as Salina did. Are they going to be able to slow Anna down? You tell me. 
I think so at the end of the day, because what, what I look for at this part of the season is defense. And Stephenville, when you see a lot of these crazy games, uh, at the beginning of the year, they had these crazy games. I think of the Decatur game, it was like 52 to 51. Uh, was, it was the rain game. And, uh, you know, Stephenville's offense can score, but their defense can play gritty football when they need to play it. And even though Anna won that game, I still came away looking at that game against Anna like, Okay, I mean, you know, they, they outshot a, a – they played a shootout game against a team that was very similar to them. But at the end of the day, Jacob Emmers was just better than the DB, and it came down to that, and, and that was the end of the game. Uh, but I saw some a lot of mistakes out of Anna. I saw uh, places where a really good defense can shut Anna down. And you look at the games that Anna has struggled in this year against Paris and uh, Waco. Well, they didn't struggle against Waco La Vega, but I thought they would struggle against Waco La Vega because I thought La Vega's defense would be able to do what Stephenville did to Salina at the end of the day. So I think defense wins these kind of games right now. So I think Stephenville is going to win like a, a 21 to 14 kind of a game against Anna uh, from their defense. Uh, and I don't even think it's going to take the turnovers like they got against Salina. I think just straight up, if you have Stephenville plays their best, Anna plays their best, Stephenville should win this game. Anna's going to have to find a special teams play. They're going to have to find a turnover or two to be able to overcome that seven-point advantage that Stephenville has. And then the winner of that game will play the winner of uh, Decatur and Brownswood. And we haven't talked a lot about Decatur this year. Can they, is this a game that they can win? You know, Decatur has already played Stephenville and Anna this year, uh, and, and both of those games were one-score games. So, you know, we're at this point, and, and Brownwood already played Stephenville. Stephenville uh, beat Brownwood. I think Decatur is a favorite in this uh, game over uh, Brownwood. Decatur has gotten better from the beginning of the season as well. I don't know that Anna has gotten better. I think Stephenville has gotten better. So uh, these are games we're very familiar with in 4A. Decatur has been here uh, the last few years. Uh, I mean, they're used to playing this, this deep uh, because Region 1 hasn't been – that good region one is better than it's been in the past. Uh, so I think Decatur is probably a seven to 10 point favorite over Brownwood. What do you think if we're moving on to four, a division two, what do you think about Glen Rose? They've kind of been here before too. They're taking on West Plains. Boy, you remember Glen Rose is just devastating loss in the playoffs last year. Neil Beasley was at that one. Were you at that one as well? I you were at that too. one too. That's the star. Apoplectic is what what the word I would use to describe that. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like it would apply in this case that they were apoplectic about that ending. Uh, but you know, just like with just like we talked about Allen earlier this year, Allen is not quite what they were in the past, and certainly not what they were ten years ago. Glen Rose is not nearly what they were even last year. Uh, Glen Rose is here because of their bracket. West Plains is a really, really, really good football team. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they've, they're on the pace with Canadian and uh, Bushland and, and teams like that. They, they already pounded Bushland pretty good this year. I think West Plains is going to beat Glen Rose probably convincingly. Convincingly, he says. DFW zone? Huh? There you go. <laughs> are, are we going to send you out to uh, Carthage and West Plains next week, maybe? Because I'm sure they'd play play here in DFW. Maybe the star? I, I doubt you will, but you will see me much West Plains beats Carthage. West Plains against Bellevue in the, in the finals. Bellevue is a Houston team that has just been demolishing teams. They run in that misdirection offense down there with the running game. Uh, I tell my shooters to make sure if they're shooting that game to shoot it up top because you will get faked out down there on the bottom. And plus, you can't really see the the play develop from down there. So if Ted Madden was a Houston shooter, I'd have him at all those games. He always shoots up top. But Belleville's rolling down there. That's my little Houston quick hit. 
then we can move Let me back ask over. You, this, you just brought that. Do we have any DFW area teams you would say you need to shoot up top? Uh, that's a good question. No. You can think, I mean, you I, can think used, about it. I used to think Burleson Centennial, but I got used to it and figured it out, and I'm good now. Because Burleson Centennial had that thing going all over the place, but not really. Well, you know if you can figure it out. The defensive coordinators can figure it out. That's why they didn't win any games this year. Many <laughs> that's games right. Year. That's right. And it used Warped to be figure out. You're done. And it also used to be Trinity when they had, when they had a smaller quarterback, a shorter quarterback. Those big guys got up. They do some misdirection. I'd be like, oh, time to widen out. He'll come out of there somewhere. But let's move down to three A because you had a game that you're very interested in. You're going so interested. You're going to miserable mineral wells. Brock against Paradise. Tell me why you're excited about that game, and and are you excited about going to Mineral Wells? Well, I, I feel like I've been I've done this this podcast for a year or three years now called the District Four Three A Report. Uh, I was asked to do it by uh, Pilot Point uh, Bearcats dot com, and I've done it. So I've been following District Four Three A for the last three years. Just a very niche podcast uh, that I do, and I've kind of fallen in love with just this district because we just cover the seven teams in the district and we talk about it. And the last three years, uh, we've now had a regional final where two teams in the District Four Three a report we're going to play the last two years it was Whitesboro and Brock and now we got uh, Paradise and Brock and uh, this is a game that I've been hoping we would see twice uh, from week one or two I probably said it on this podcast when you let me talk about small schools we're gonna have Paradise and Brock and then we're gonna have it again and uh, you sent out a camera to the first Paradise and Brock right I believe so yeah we got that back in the day and I couldn't because we had Plano East playing uh, at that time uh, that was full on Plano East season. Now we got Paradise and Brock, the rematch after Paradise just completely obliterated Bushland, a team that we thought would give them all kinds of problems. Brock is playing their best football of the year. Uh, Paradise is playing their best football of the year. And if you want more detailed analysis, you can go to YouTube and type in District 43A Report, where I'll give you my full feedback on the Paradise versus Brock rematch. And I will be there on Friday night if you're following me on Twitter. Uh, but because we have our own podcast award, it's going to be very hard to pick against Brock. Well, how hard is it going to be picked against uh, Malakoff when they take on Winsboro? And this game is one of those games where you have Malikov as kind of that expected team that you expect to be here and that you expect to make it to the next round. But Winsboro is playing absolutely out of their mind right now. Uh, They're just playing peak level. And the way they beat Whitney and, and the ma- manner in which they did it have, has given me enough reasonable doubt to where I've gone from absolutely picking Malikov in this game to strongly considering picking Winsboro. And for the spot purposes of the podcast, I'm going to take Winsboro over Malikov just because Winsboro has done so much against really good teams that have calibrated well with Malikoff, and they're doing it better than the way Malikoff is winning those games. That being said, Malikoff, we talk about if you're good enough defensively to shut them down the way these games can get out of hand, Malikoff is good enough defensively to shut Winsboro down and make me look really bad in that. But the difference that Winsboro has that the other teams haven't had is Winsboro can play some defense as well. So even if Malikoff is good enough to do that, I expect Winsboro to be good enough defensively to keep it maybe a 21-14 kind of a game. If Winsboro's offense is better than Malikoff's defense in such a way, this is a game that could get ugly on Malikoff. Real ugly. Speaking about ugly, that Jacksboro Gunter game could get ugly at College Complex. Collins Complex. Jacksboro got a huge win over Holiday by by a point there. Seemed like a, a thrilling game there, but their reward is to play a Gunter team that's just good lord. You know they're just Gunter. 
there's gunner and uh, we, we, we keep talking about it. And I, and I, I don't like the fact that we've been doing this, but for 15 weeks now, we're like, can we just fast forward to Canadian Gunter eight? And that's what we're going to get. We're going to get Canadian Gunter eight or whatever number it is. And I hope it's on a Thursday night so I can go see it. Uh, but uh, if it is, I will go see it. If it's on a Friday night next week, I have graduation. So I can't go to a, a full Friday night game. I'm going to be like the whizzy and just go to a second half of a game uh, after graduation, hopefully at the star somewhere. That's how I got Glenn Rose and Glenn Rose and Carthage. And I walked right in on Glenn Rose blowing their lead. Uh, so I, I'm sure I'll, I'll get a fantastic game at the star of some sort, uh, because you know, they'll play a game at, at the yeah, star absolutely. regardless. Uh, but I think uh, all that matters now is Canadian Gunter. And I think Gunner is playing at a high level right now. They're going to get past Jacksboro. They're going to be able to name their score, but Canadian, you know, that, Canadian has a little bit more of Gunner's number than anybody else in the state. That's a that's a 50-50 game. So we'll talk about that next week if we can get uh, Small School Wizzy to come back. Small School Wizzy. Small School Wizzy can't get all the way down to 2A, but you can. So tell us about Toller and tell us about Collinsville because they're both area squads that are having big, big regional final games. Well, I, I was going to go see uh, Timpson and Garrison this past week. Uh, I, I was like, I'm going to go to Longview. I'm going to do it for Toller because Toller will probably play the winner of that game in the state championship game. And then they moved it to Friday because they're scared of the weather board. What, what can you do? So now the only game I can go to this week is Toller versus Marlins. So I'll be there Thursday night uh, against that. Game. And I saw that game last year. It was in the second round. And Toller beat Marlin 71-18. Uh, to 18. So did Marlin get 53 points better or did Toller get 53 points worse than last year? No, so I'm not expecting a competitive game, uh, but it's still it's still Toller cresting that magical milestone because they've never made it this far, and then winning the regional championship is taking that next step. So it's still important uh, for that end. I think Marlin will be better than they were against uh, them last year, but not 53 points better. What about Collinsville? Collinsville I got to see in person this past week. I saw the Collinsville versus uh, Roscoe game, and uh, Collinsville incredibly impressed me. We got some new uh, Collinsville followers because they're they're happy that the IHSS engine has embraced Collinsville as a DFW area team. So uh, we got to see more of them coming out and, and quoting us and uh, sending our stuff out there. So I'm sure they will enjoy being talked about on our podcast this week. Going into two weeks ago, I would have just assumed Albany uh, was going to have a pretty easy run into the back to the state championship. Now Collinsville has made me a believer the way they beat Roscoe. And then the fact that you had Al Albany play Munster and that game was 1914 and Collinsville took care of Munster in such a way and then took care of Roscoe in such a way to where it made me a believer. I think uh, Collinsville is going to win what many people will consider an upset over Albany this week. But I don't think it's even going to be an upset. I think they're just a better team. A better team. All right, you, you want to use these earphones? They're not earmuffs, so you're going to have to listen to what I say, but we're going to talk church bowl. I'll let you do it, Ward, because you're, you're, making, you're, you're spending the gas money. So tell us, give us the wisdom about church ball. Because Dallas Christian is the only team that beat Toller this year, and they're still in it. So that's the only team I know that's playing and really even care about. Because if, if Dallas Christian wins and Toller wins, we all win. They're taking on, uh, they're taking on Holy Cross out of San Antonio on – uh, I guess that's the Saturday afternoon game at noon. So Dallas Christian is they're the they're the runaway train of of, of Division three down there and, and taps, and I, I think they'll have an easy win there. But is that the others. college that Lynn Bias went to? Say it again. Is that the college that Lynn Bias went to? Holy Cross? No, it's not. No. 
He did not. Lynn Boss went to Maryland. Well, who went to Loyola Marymount then? That was Bo Kimball. Bo Kimball. And Hank Gathers. Hank Gathers. There, Hank Gathers. There we go. I, I, I messed up that joke then. Yeah, you did mess it up. Lynn Bice had a tragic death. I, I tried to make a joke and it's, it's wrong. All right. Anyway. I'll get better, Ward. I'll get better. Get better. I'm glad you knew that stuff because clearly I didn't. You were able to at least use your wisdom to make to dig me out of my hole. That's what this show is about. Your wisdom digs me out of holes. Yeah, once we start talking about college basketball, then not only will I do all the talking and you won't, but we also lose 98% of our listeners. Oh, they're gone now anyway. So go anyway. ahead and talk about church ball. Because we're talking church ball. Taps the, the Jason Witten. Jason Witten. There you go. I got to say there Jason Witten and bring him back. Jason Witten is going for a state title as uh, Liberty Christians taking on Austin Regis. They're, they're a heavy favorite in that one. The one game that's not a heavy favorite on either side is the top dog, Division One, the uh, Paris Episcopal going for a five-peat against St. Thomas out of Houston area. St. Thomas, if you missed the game against Plano Prestonwood last week, 73-62. to 62. They combined, both teams combined for 63 points in the fourth quarter alone. And a kid for uh, St. Thomas – Ran for 457 yards and seven touchdowns in that game alone. He's going, to, he's going to Vanderbilt. So, will they have what it takes to beat Paris Episcopal? I don't know, but I think it'll be closer than the other two. Uh, but Paris Episcopal is a five-peat quest, and I think they will probably end up pulling off in the, in the end because St. Thomas hasn't even been to the state title since 2001, so it's been 22 years. So, there's your church ball. All right, buddy. We what got it out the way. Man, schools because I I missed some six. I, I lost some points last year in Pickham because some Houston six man football won a game or two. Do you know Logo's anything about trip. that? I know Let's that see, they. You know, I, I got the schedule up here. We got uh, what about uh, Founders Classic Academy versus Houston Kip Sunnyside? You got any thoughts on that? I have no thoughts on anything except that I have to shoot three of those games in order to fill a show in Houston because we all know. Houston UIL teams drop like flies from this round down to like five teams left. So, What about Prestonwood North versus Baytown Christian? And is that Plano Prestonwood? It is. Oh, no. It's a it's a Dallas team, but I don't think it's Plano Prestonwood. I don't know. But I'll be shooting it from a Baytown point of view. And it's supposed to rain like crazy. So how about that? Six-man action, me and four other fans, and I'll be up top Conor of the Covenant. Is that, that's, is that a Houston area school that's you care Houston, about? So is Emory Weiner when you're going to get to them pretty soon. That's what is Emory Weiner? Is that it sounds like a business school, not a Jesus school? It's a it's a it's a Jewish squad that's going to or Jewish. Well, I guess they wouldn't believe in that side would, of things. They were there a couple years ago. I shot them before, so should be interesting, Dixie. And then I'm going to head down to uh, Round Rock, take a look at Duncanville and Spring Westfield, see if uh, Taji Atkins can break off another big run that I missed and have his dad say he's never going to watch a show again. I can't believe you show nothing but Caden Durham and you couldn't show my son taking off on an 89-yard run. That's like I was, I was up in the press box at that time. I apologize. If you never want to watch again, I understand. I'm nothing. I'm trash. I'm, I'm going to join him. I'm not going to be watching the Houston area show this week either, Ward. <laughs> You're the same one? You're gonna gonna be, I'm not, I don't care about Conroe Covenant. Well, look, don't. we only got... We got two podcasts left, and then we're going to have a UIL special in February, which I'm actually looking forward to. I love doing those things because 
it's like Christmas, right? Opening the new districts and seeing what you got. Where will the Plano schools wind up this year? This year? Who are they going to be in with? There's a lot of different. That's all I care about. That's what I'm refreshing. Like, where, where, where are we? Okay, then we can look at the rest of the area after that. And like you said, this year, 12, 6, 8 is probably going to be all Dallas. So that's another district to cover. I can get some more teams. So if I don't go out to your 1-4 and four team and, and cover them, I apologize. I got more teams to cover. But I actually saw a, a, a district uh, projection that, that made me think of you. And at the end of the day, I was like, uh-oh. It was, it was like a... Uh, Division two school where we had like some of the Colleen schools and some of the South Dallas schools. I was like, Ward's going to hate. Oh. It was like Midlothian Heritage is, is going down to play uh, South Texas schools and in region three. And I was like, Ward's going to hate having a region three DFW team uh, because all we're going to have to talk about them all at that point. God, that would be brutal. That would be brutal. All right. Get yourself out to a game. There's not too many left. So you guys go out and see them. Hopefully we gave you enough wisdom to, to pick a game that you'd like to see. I know where you'll be, Diggs. You know where I'll be. Let's go see some ball. See you down the road.